All right, uh, we're into the last part of Philippians and we're doing the last chapters. And remember what I said uh, next week, it's going to be the Philippian wrap. So I don't want you to wrap and go away. I want to wrap and come here uh, with that verse in your mind uh, and you've thought about it and uh, to share what God has uh, spoken to you through it. Contentment. Uh, it's an interesting uh, phrase, interesting terminology, something that often people talk about. Uh, maybe it, uh, this is a picture for you of contentment. Beautiful beach. Maybe it's not with someone else. Maybe it's just you looking out on there. But what about if it's like this? Maybe that changes it. What about contentment might be for you this? On the sideline, cheering your kids along and the sporting day, it's sunny outside, your kids are going great and they're winning. It's contentment, you feel, oh, it's all good. But what about this? The day when it rains out and they've got to stay home and you've got to entertain them. I wonder what it's like then. What about <coughs> this? Fishing, that's where Matt and I should have been yesterday, but I was in Sydney instead. That's great, isn't it? Out there, about to wet a line, about to grab the biggest mackerel or snapper you have ever seen. But what about this? <laughs> What's it like then? That's when we hit the whale. That's when we hit the whale. <laughs> it's a real picture. I'm behind taking it as Matt's sitting there. No. <laughs> what about that? Often when we think of contentment, don't we? We think of it when it's all good, when everything is wonderful, when it looks like this. When life is just great, you've got everything. But what about when it's like this? Contentment. What point in time are we content? Or can we can be content in all circumstances <coughs> and all situations <laughs> like this? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to be thinking about contentment and a contentment that is something that we have through every circumstance and every situation, be the good, the bad or the ugly, that we can, can be content in every situation. So we're going to read the Bible this morning and we're going to be looking at, uh, oh there you go, there is a, there's a uh, in a sense, here's a definition for you, the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things just as they are. Peace of mind, contentment. Well let's have a look at Philippians 4, will you, with me? verses 10 through to 23. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got Bibles, you can open them up with us as well. Philippians 4, verses 10 through to 23. And I think I'm reading it today, am I? Oh, Anne-Marie, I did know that too, didn't I? See, you've got to be content even when your brain fades. Anne-Marie's going to read that for us. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Is my mic not on? Is now. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learnt to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know that it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, you are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. that Paul finds himself in when he writes this letter. Who can remember what and where he is? He's in jail, isn't he? And where? What part of the world is he in? He's in Rome. Yep, he's in jail. And we need to keep that in mind because knowing where Paul is makes what he's writing even more special. Uh, he's in Rome, he's in jail, he's in a house that he's had to rent because they, uh, it's a ha he's at home under that sense, the jail's at home, and he has to rent this house out, he's under house arrest, he's got a guy chained to him 24-7 the whole time, one of the Praetorium Guard beside him. Uh, he doesn't have his own food or anything, people have got to bring him food, people have got to come and look after him and care for him. Uh, it's not like our jails where they get three meals a day provided by the government. There you had to be looked after by other people. Uh, you were there and people in the street, other pastors were starting to spread rumours about you and talk about how bad you were at the same time speaking about Jesus but yet at the same time putting Paul down. All this is going on around him and at the same time he's on death row because he's waiting to be on trial and the possible outcome of that is death. And then he writes the letter to the Philippians. And in that he writes these words, which makes it even more amazing, doesn't it? He's in a situation that you possibly couldn't imagine yourself being in, but yet in that passage he says he finds that he can be content in every and all situations. It's amazing, isn't it? That he can say that. But he can say that because... He understands the secret, the truth behind it. And we're going to have a look at that together this morning. Uh, but just imagine there, Paul's there, remember the context. Uh, he's there, he's in this house, uh, he's having to pay for that himself, he's having to provide that for himself. Uh, things aren't looking good for him, he hasn't got any income coming from anywhere. And then the next minute, up on his doorstep turns Epaphras. Epaphras uh, comes up, he goes, Oh, g'day Epapho, how you doing brother? Great to see you, mate. And then a papho comes out and a papho grabs a big bag of money and says, Here, Paul, this is for you from the people in Philippi. 
And Paul, what does he say? He greatly rejoices, doesn't he? Verse 10. He says, I greatly rejoice in what you have given to me. You see, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians to go and help Paul. Epaphroditus came and brought a giving, brought money to Paul to enable him to survive while he was under house arrest. And Paul goes, yes! He gets excited, doesn't he? He just doesn't say, oh, thanks, mate, that's great. I'll put that away for a little while. He greatly rejoices. He does a bit of a dance. He does the running man. He does the chicken dance. He does, he's excited about the fact of what they've just brought to him because these people have been generous to him. And he talks, doesn't he, about how there's been a time when they weren't able to do it, but now they are able to do it. And when they've been able to do it, they give generously. And they give generously from their heart. They give it because they love Jesus. They give it because they love Paul. And out of that, they are generous in giving to him to supply his needs. So he could pay for his rent. So that he could get food. So that he could survive while he was under house arrest. It's good to be generous, isn't it? Sometimes I think we forget that. You see, it seems that not only is it good to be generous, but in the Bible, those who are all followers of Jesus, it's godly to be generous. It's not just good, but it's godly. Uh, if you hear the stories, don't you? Have a look at the stories in the New Testament. One of the ones I love is the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus is probably the smallest bloke in the Bible, and yes, he's smaller than Nehemiah. He's uh, tiny, and uh, Zacchaeus is this tiny bloke, and he's a tax collector, he's a charlatan, he's the worst possible person, he's a traitor to the Jewish people, he's taking money off them, he's bringing it to himself, he's holding it to himself, and then he meets Jesus. Jesus actually calls him down out of the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I want to go and have dinner with you. Everyone else goes, what? Dinner with that scumbag? Why would you go and do that? He's the pits. Jesus says, no, I want to have dinner with you. And then when Jesus goes and has dinner with uh, Zacchaeus, what does Zacchaeus do immediately after he spends time with Jesus? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? We don't even actually hear that he repents. But we see that he repents. What Zacchaeus does is he meets Jesus, he is transformed by Jesus, he does believe and trust in Jesus and immediately it doesn't say what he says but it does says what he does. And what does he do? He gives. He generously gives. He gives back what he's cheated people, uh, what he owes people and he gives back four times more what he's cheated people of. It's a great story, isn't it? As soon as people meet Jesus and know Jesus, they become generous. Followers of Jesus are generous people. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Are we generous people? Hmm. I can't answer for you, but I can answer for myself. You see, I think we've been conned into getting and having the Jesus of the middle class society. I think we've tended to think uh, we've made Jesus to look like we think a middle class Australian should look like. 
we tend to go through and we see what he does to us and we see that uh, uh, when we look at what he does, we tend to then transfer that and say, well, he's going to look like me now. If you read through, I want to challenge you to read through the Bible, well, particularly Jesus' story, read through Jesus' story and have a look and see the places where he says, make sure you store up enough money for the future. Look for the passages where he says, make sure you leave enough money for your kids. Look for the passages where he says, make sure you have a block of land and a house on it and you're comfortable. They're not there, are they? They're not there. Now, I have those things. So I'm not speaking just to you, but I'm speaking to me. I, I'm wondering whether we have lost a little bit of the edge of what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you follow me, you won't have a house. You'll be like foxes in hold. If you follow me, then you won't, you'll lose everything to gain everything. I think sometimes we've moulded Jesus into our middle class uh, particular thing and say, well, you've got to have enough money and you've got to have enough money for your retirement, you've got to have enough money for all these things that you need to do. You need to leave enough money for your kids so that they can survive. Now, I'm not saying that they're bad things, but I want to challenge you to think whether they're the things that God wants you to do with your money. You see, when we see Jesus talk anything about money, in the New Testament, anything about money, it's about giving away money. It's about being generous with the money. There's nothing about, bad about making money. Jesus doesn't say that it's bad to make money. But he says it's bad to hoard money. Your money is given to you to be generous with it. In the scriptures we see when people have money and there are Christians who don't have money, the people who have money give to those who don't and provide for those who don't. It's a challenge, isn't it? <laughs> I can think about me and I've got a father-in-law who's very generous and has given us money at different times and I think, so what do I do with that, Paul? What do we do with that? And the challenge is I've got to be generous with it. Uh, some of these know old Ralphie Fowler. You remember Ralph Fowler? Some of you remember Ralph. Ralph told me he was converted in 1950, but his wallet wasn't until 1970. <laughs> he says the last thing for him to be converted was his wallet. Uh, and, you know, I've got Scottish heritage. You open up my wallet and butterflies come out of it, you know. Uh, we have this real sense, don't we? We have this strong sense in our Western society, and particularly in our middle-class society, is we've got to hold on to our money. Or we've got to buy the things to make ourselves comfortable. I just want to challenge you to think that through because when we see the scriptures, it doesn't talk about that. And you've got to think about what that looks like for you. What does it look like for you to be a generous follower of Jesus? Because Paul rejoices greatly, doesn't he, when he sees the generosity of the Philippians. He speaks about how some churches weren't able to do that and some churches didn't do that, but the Philippians have stepped in. Paul is in need, they've seen it and they've given. It's a great challenge for us to think about what God has given us, not just financially, but time, gifts, talents, that all of it is for him and his glory and to be generous in everything that we have for him. 
Because when we understand that Jesus is enough, that we don't need anything other than him, then we can be generous with everything else, can't we? If we come to that deep sense of knowing that Paul has, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain, that to live now is all about Jesus, to die is to be with Jesus forever, that Jesus is enough for everything, then it means that everything else that we have we can be generous with because we have everything in him. And that's why Paul can say that he can be content in every situation. So let me encourage you to think about that. Think carefully that you haven't turned Jesus into your middle class, Christian looking Jesus. Think about what that means for you. Now the good thing in the Bible, it doesn't tell you, it doesn't give you a bunch of rules of how that's got to work out for you. But it's a hard thing, isn't it? It's a hard thing as you sit down and think that through and pray that through and ask God to reveal that through in you. Then you'll be able to be generous in what you have. How's that for a nice picture of a middle class Jesus for you? I couldn't find one on the net and I thought... But, you know, sometimes we've done that to him, haven't we? We've made him just look like us. Sometimes we tend to make Jesus in our image rather than us becoming like his image. Contentment. You see, Paul has just spoken about the generosity of the Philippians and he continues that on. And in the middle of it, he throws this section about contentment. But the whole thing hangs together, doesn't it? Because it's all about understanding that Jesus is enough. Look what he says there in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is a phenomenal statement, isn't it? But it's a very peaceful statement, isn't it? Remember last week it was about peace. It's that shalom, that knowing that we are being complete in Jesus. And now this contentment comes from knowing that Jesus is enough in every situation and circumstance. You see, Paul has learnt this, hasn't he? I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. If you read Paul's story back in from Acts 16 onwards, if you go through, you find out that Paul was not only jailed, he was flogged, he was shipwrecked, he was bashed, he was driven out of town, uh, he had people having a go against him. Uh, it was, Paul had a whole lot of stuff going for him, didn't he? There were moments when he was able to be with uh, Priscilla and Aquila who had the most amount of money in one city and he was able to dine with them. And there was moments when he was on the beach, he had nothing, he'd been shipwrecked and he's been able to live off the land. But within all that, Paul says he's learned to be content because he's learned that in all those circumstances, Jesus has been enough. You see, it hasn't determined upon what's happening around him. It's determined about what God is doing within him. See, that's how you can sing that song, isn't it? It's well with my soul. That's what Paul's saying there. It's well with my soul because he was content in knowing that Jesus is enough. In him and him alone. Do 
it's amazing, isn't it? We, you know, we, we live in this world where we have everything, but we have the most, probably the most discontent society that we've ever had. We have access to just about every pleasure that we want, but yet we're so disengaged from everything around us. You see, happiness seems to be the goal of this world, but happiness is dependent upon happenstance. That's where it comes from. Happiness is dependent about what happens to you. But contentment comes from knowing about what God is doing within you. You see, in every situation, God is doing something within us to change us, to become more and more like Jesus. And when we understand that, then every and any situation that comes our way, we can be content within it because, you know, God is working through that to make us more like Jesus in every way. It doesn't mean we have to like it. it. doesn't mean that it's easy. But we can have a contentment within it. Because we know Jesus is enough. And then there's that amazing statement at the bottom of it, isn't it? In verse 13, it says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I reckon, apart from one other verse in the Bible, it's the most out-of-context, misused verse that has ever been used in the Bible. The other one is when Jesus stands at the door and says, it stands at the door and knocks. And people say, that's Jesus standing at the hearts of people. No, no, Jesus is standing at the door of the church then and the door has closed the door on him. And Jesus is saying, I want, to be in the church. I want to be in amongst you, the people who know Jesus. He's not saying, oh, open up your heart. There's other great verses for that in other parts of the Bible. And the same one with this one. Uh, people think to think it's like this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's been used uh, for people to do some crazy stuff. Uh, if, places I've heard, they actually have them in gyms on the roof so that you can lift that weight. I can do anything through Jesus. Yes. It's all because of my strength I can do it. I've heard that in high schools in America, they have them on the mirrors as it's to say that you can go out and do whatever you want. It's, it's like a self-empowering thing that God can, you can do anything through him. You can jump off a building. You can leap tall buildings. You can do crazy stuff through Jesus. But what's the context say? For every verse, there is a context. And unless you know the context, you can't understand the verse. And what does the verse say to us? I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, can you read that? <laughs> who strengthens me. Through him who strengthens me. And what is the all things that Paul's just said he can do? He can be content in every situation and he'll be able to live through every situation for Christ because he will give me the strength to live for Christ in that. It's not so that you can lift weights. It's not so that you can do some amazing feat. It's so that you can live a life worthy of Jesus in every situation. That's the strength that God gives us. That's the strength that empowers us. That's the power that he gives to all of us to do that when we follow him. You see, that's what Paul's saying, isn't it? The verse, the main verse in the whole of Philippians that we've read so far is that we are, can do everything, everything that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do everything in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. And that's how Paul can be content. And that's how Paul can do verse 13. And he can stay that. And the word that he used there is strength, is the word for dynamite. 
Uh, it's in a sense to blow things up and empower things. I don't know whether you've ever heard of the saying where someone says, oh, you need to stick a bit of dynamite under him to get him going. Well, that's what Paul's saying here. You know, we need a stick of dynamite. That stick of dynamite is Jesus. God will give him the stick of dynamite that will empower him and explode him out into the world to live a life worthy of him. Will give us the power to do that. Because you know that is the most power we ever need because that is the hardest thing to do. You could lift weights. You could jump off mountains. You could do all these amazing, supposedly miracle things in the power of God. But ultimately, the most power that you and I need is to live a life for Jesus. Because that's the hardest thing we can do. Because none of us are perfect like him, are we? We need that power. We need that. And Paul promises that we have that power in Jesus. We have that power in him to live a life worthy of him. He gives that power to us through his spirit who lives within us to empower us to live that out in every and any circumstance, in every and any situation, whether you have lots or whether you have nothing, whether you've been living with the rich or you're living with the poor, in every and any situation, we have the power to live a life worthy of Jesus in Jesus. I saw this the other day. It says... uh, Snoopy, sometimes I wonder how you can stand being just a dog. Uh, Snoopy says, you play with the cards you've been dealt. Whatever that means. We hear that, don't we? We cannot change the cards we are dealt, just how we play the hand. But we need, as followers of Jesus, one more line there. And that line is, because the cards we've been dealt are from that we know the dealer. The cards we've been dealt, we know the dealer and the dealer is our loving, gracious, sovereign, good God. That makes a whole lot of difference of how we deal with the cards, doesn't it? Because we know God has given them to us to enable us and for us to become more like Jesus in every way. Because when we know Jesus is enough, then in every and any situation, we can be content. We can be generous and we can be like that frog. It's an amazing passage, isn't it? It it just really does grab and, and hits where we went because most of us, I reckon, if you're like me, are moments where we're not content. There are moments when we feel angst and we feel like life's against us or we feel that things aren't going the way that they are. The data projector or the PowerPoint doesn't come together properly in the morning. Uh, you know, you, you've all had your own this morning. There'll be moments this morning where there have been little things that have jumped in and you've been, ah, I feel that discontent. It's not working. But when we know Jesus is enough, we know that our loving, gracious God is in control, who deals the cards for us and who gives us the power through his spirit to live for him within any and every situation. Then we can be content. We can be at peace. 
and we can know that everything that comes our way is ultimately for the glory of God. That's how Paul finishes that passage, doesn't he, in verse 10. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Every situation and circumstance that comes our way is an opportunity for us to live to the glory of God. To shout how great he is in that. I reckon it's just as tough when you've got a lot and probably even tougher than when you've got a little. Because when you've got a lot, you can dismiss God very quickly. When you've got a little, you've almost got nothing else but to hold on to him, haven't you? But you and I who sit in middle class Australia generally need to be careful that we don't end up there and stay there and think that's what it's about. We need to remember that everything that we do is for his glory. And then he says at the end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Amen. What a lovely way to finish Philippians, isn't it? Because in the end, the grace of God to us through Jesus is that he gives us life now in Jesus. He gives us life for eternity in Jesus. And if we understand that and that becomes a central part of who we are, then we can live a life worthy of Jesus because we're empowered by him. We know who he is. We know he's the one that's dealt us the cards and he wants us to become more like Jesus in every situation and circumstance that comes our way. Jesus is enough. He's enough for our life now. He's enough for our eternity. When we know that, then we have peace and then we're content. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the book of Philippians. It's an amazing book. So much of it speaks to us where we're at. So much of it challenges us, so much of it changes us, so much of it gives us hope too, Lord, that we can have that peace and contentment in you. Lord, our lives may seem to be chaotic at this point in time. But Lord, you can speak into that, you can transform us, you can give us a peace and contentment within it to see that you, Lord, are wanting us to bring you glory, that you are wanting to give us that peace and grace that comes from you, Lord. And that, Lord, you want to empower us and put that dynamite on us so that we can live for you and do all things through you, Lord. And those all things are to live a life worthy of you in every single circumstance and situation that comes our way, Lord. May we know that. May we experience that, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.